Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA podcast. If you are enjoying the show, and I hope you are, I wanted to mention our Patreon because that is the best thing that you can do to support the show if you are so inclined. Patrons get access to every podcast a week early without any of the ads. There's also members-only channels in the Discord that I am super active in. I do Q&As, I do some giveaways, and for everyone who has asked, there's also a way to have me review your music or artwork or anything else that you would like to get my eyes or ears on. Every month, I do a call for submissions on Patreon. You post your work in the comments, and then I will review it live on Twitch and then post them to YouTube for everybody on Patreon as well. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, there's a link to that in the show notes for this podcast. Tommy Green, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for making time for this, putting your children to bed early to make time for the stream. <laughs> Yo, thank you so much, Finn. I'm Appreciate so glad it. to be here, bro. Well, like I was saying, we were, we were just uh, warming up, listening to some Sleeping Giant and Death Star to get ready for this because I just wanted to yes. make sure everybody was familiar. I know a lot of people are, but just making sure. Watch the song with Frankie. I forget the name of that one. Eyes Wide Open. Oh, yes. Yes, that's what we watched that one. We watched the last show of We Are the Threat, one of my favorite videos that I've watched many times. Gosh, that's a good song, man. Yeah. It's a great song. Okay, so when we started Death Star, I, I remember um, I moved out to Redlands from Salt Lake to play drums <clears throat> in a band with Eric and his brother, Ryan. Oh, I didn't know that. In, in Death Star. That's why I moved out to Redlands. I'm a drummer. When people ask me what I do, I'm like, well, I'm a drummer. But the band I was in that actually got really popular, I'm yelling. But I consider myself still, even though I haven't played very much at all for the last handful of years, I still consider myself a drummer. And so I moved out to Redlands to play drums. We had all these young kids kind of in our crew that were coming up around us. And he was like, dude, we got to do something just to get these young kids involved. And so um, that we started Death Star as a side project until me and Ryan and him could kind of get 
our own thing going. And I just was like, I never sang really in a band. I, I did a couple like joke bands in Salt Lake with some friends out here. But I was like, yo, can I be one of the singers? And he was like, sure. And so um, that's how that's how Death Star started was we just had like all of these young kids. And so we're like, you know, Danny played drums and our homie Kevy D, who ended up being a vocalist by the We Are the Threat era, he became a vocalist, but he started as a bass player. And so we just grabbed all of our young friends. We're like, yo, let's be in this band. <laughs> and so that's how Death Star started. And uh, we did the demo and then we did the first full length on Life Sentence. And then we went out and played Hellfest 2004. That's right. So we went out there. It was like we played there. And then I think we played two other shows with Donnybrook and Suffocate Faster in Ohio and like maybe like New York. We played like a bunch. But anyway, that's a rough lineup. It was it was so much fun. I mean, our first show, Death Star's first show was Donnybrook's first show. Oh, wow. Yeah. Teen and Dre were in a band called Hurricane Rana. Suffocate faster, Donnie Brook and Death Star. That's like you better make sure you have insurance before you got out of that show. <laughs> it was so uh, it was fun, man. That was a it was a cool tour. I just I remember going out there, but on the way back, I literally and this is like just you know how I'm wired, Finn. Anyways, like yeah. my doors my doors and windows are open, so I'm like whatever. But I I had just gone through like a separation, and so my little daughter was like one and a half. And uh, my ex was so mad at me for going on tour that while I'm driving back, she's like calling all the dudes in the band, like, you guys suck. And I can't, you know, whatever. And I was like, dude, I can't do this. So on the way back from that tour, I was like, I don't think I can be in Death Star anymore. Like, I just need to be home and like be a dad and, you know, do do stuff. So I, I did a tour with Death Star. But then because I was just like me and Eric's like my best friend whenever there was problems or they needed extra stuff in the studio, I was almost like an honorary member of Death Star. So I didn't get to be a part of the, we are the threat album, but it's my favorite Death Star album. Like I, I listened to it constantly. And so anyways, SG was, SG was just kicking off when they were kind of coming into this time. And we both recorded at the church I was leading. And so like, we just, I feel like I was a part of that record even because he would show me stuff as they were doing it, but I, right. I wasn't actually part of the band. So I love it. I love, we are the threat. Such a good album. Holy smokes. So anyways, that's, that's my kickoff into death star. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Well, what all are you up to now? Cause I know you got your hands in a lot of different stuff and I, I don't want to, I want to make sure I don't forget anything. So tell us everything that you're involved with right now. Oh, well, snap. Okay. For the people that didn't know. So when Sleeping Giant ended in 2018, we played our last show February of 2018. And I was in the process at that point of training for what became a really huge, like physical task (laughs) of running physically from the top of Utah to the bottom. And that was to raise awareness and gain attention for some crazy stuff that had popped off in our world. And Chrissy Green, my, my gangster wife, and I had been sort of roped up into this wild story. And it became really tragic in that we went to help a young kid that was at risk. And she ended up becoming a victim of trafficking. A family member uh, essentially sold her into prostitution for I think what was probably addiction or something. I mean, it was just a mess. And so we got roped up in this wild world and it was so crazy and tragic that she actually asked us, this precious human asked us to to tell her story and continue to share. And, And she was so badly sick and affected by the abuse that she went through that she passed away. 
And so to tell her story and to give my wife, who's an introvert, who's much quieter and much, she's just incredible, but she's the reason why I even stuck with it. It was so crazy that I thought it was BS and I was getting lied to and it was just a joke. And so if it wasn't for Chrissy, I wouldn't have had the honor of suffering that story and going through that. And so I just thought I'll, I'll do something stupid and suffer so that I can invite people to, to join us and do something hard for the sake of, of people that are caught in human trafficking. It's so dark. It's awful. And what's interesting to me is that I feel like Christians are like the only people I know who talk about human trafficking. Maybe that's just me. Maybe, maybe there are other people talking about it and I just don't know about it. Really? Yeah. Hold on. That's how it occurs to you. Yes. Hold on. So what, open that up a bit more, sir. There are like, aside from you, like, so Russell Brunson from ClickFunnels, I mean, he's Mormon, but whatever, close enough for me. Um, he talks about it quite a bit and he's involved with, um, what is the, what is the name of its underground railroad, something like that. Do you know this, oh, this group? Operation underground railroad. Yeah, yeah. They're based out of here. They're out here in Utah. He's involved with them and he talks about them a bit. There's a couple people that I follow on social media that talk about it fairly often and they're all like, you know, Christian and it's, uh, I don't hear a lot of other people talking about it, which is sad to me. Here's my guess too. And I'm going to say this as well. If I reference something as we're sharing, if I reference something that is just obviously informed by my faith view, like my worldview as like a, as a Christian, then just forgive me ahead of time. I, I would imagine because I'm pro kind of freedom and I'm yeah. like pro people are in charge of themselves. I think the weird line for people is we, and I'm saying this just because of my own, my own journey, my own life. <clears throat> I think that when people talk about sex <laughs> mm-hmm. or stuff having to do with sex, I think people get weird because the mass of society isn't super sex positive. Right. There's just a lot of shame and weird around it. Right. And we are designed as human beings to be connected, but we suck at it and we don't get taught how to do it well. And so I would imagine that the only thing I can guess at is there are people that are in situations that are so rough that utilizing their sexuality, utilizing their beauty, you know, it's like dancers. It's like they, they're dancing yeah. to make ends to get through a season. So I think for people, cause I have a ton of friends in my life, like family members, people in, in my close circle that are very like pro they're pro sex workers, protection, unionize. Like, I mean, they're, they would, they back what I'm doing, but they're like, listen, and so I think the reason that people might be weird about it. Well, because we're, we're in like two worlds, you know, yeah. or like, like, especially you, but you know, we're in sort of two worlds. Well, <laughs> yeah. cause I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not religious, but I'm friends with a lot of people who are, and I, I can start, I'm an honorary Christian. I'm not actually Christian, but I'm an honorary Christian. <laughs> Just Christian adjacent. I get it. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, we're sort of in, in two worlds where, a lot of people in our sort of circle are, you know, very into like basically moral relativism where like everything's okay. You can't judge anything. All kinds of sex work are great and positive, you know, because some sex workers have been unfairly stigmatized and persecuted in the past. Therefore all sex work is great and positive and we should never criticize any of it. Sure. Yes. Yeah. I've experienced that as well. I've had those conversations. And, and, and both things can be true. You know, there can be people involved with sex work who individually are lovely people who have done nothing wrong, 
but can be part of something that is on a larger, like systemic level, evil. That's, I think, the thing. I think that by connecting with, because let's talk about this. So I'm going to say this up front so people understand, like human trafficking, like as an issue, it's predominantly labor trafficking. Mm -hmm. Sex trafficking is a smaller percentage. So I'm just talking about people using people. Yeah. Well, and and again, like immigration, same thing. It's like, oh yeah, it just, it gets you wrapped up in all sorts of exactly. stuff. Yes. So I, I would just imagine for me, the reason that I feel like some people back away from it is that it feels a bit, it's so complex. It's not yeah. an easy thing. And, and I think you're exactly right. I think it feels for some people, maybe like a minefield. I think for other people, it does feel like, listen, man, I, I don't even know what, like for some people, it just feels like cancer. Like yeah. it just feels like such a huge thing that it's like, how, what? And it involves people and people's yeah. freedom. It involves money. It involves and it's, sex. And it's so and fucking it's, dark that you just don't want to dude, think about it. it and I'm going to say it from personal experience now, just whether people get it or not, like whatever your background is, the idea of forces for positivity, forces for negativity, forces for good, forces for evil, spiritual realities, whatever. When you step into this in any kind of way, stuff begins to happen. And so it's not for the faint of heart to make a difference anywhere. The minute people start standing up for anything, your life changes and the world around you changes. And it's, it's super messed up. Like when you say like, it's super dark, it's like, no, no, it really is. And what it comes with is like, it's horrifying. That, that's been the thing. So that was, that was initially how in, in 2018 I was getting involved and I didn't know, I wrote a song about it. When I first heard about the issue was just before we, I, like legit, when I first actually heard about human trafficking for real was just before Sleeping Giant put out its second record. And so we wrote a song called Descending Into Hell because I met a guy that rescued two sisters from the Marshall Islands that were in forced prostitution. Rescu him and his uh, wife adopted a young Ukrainian boy that they found essentially handcuffed to the bed of an orphanage. He was like nonverbal. It just, they'd rescued a whole bunch of kids. Yeah. And he, he, he literally had said to us at this meeting, if you would just be willing to be willing to pay attention, just stand up. And me and Chris, he stood up and that was about as into it as we got. But I, I thought about it when we were writing that album. And so I thought I'm going to write a song about human trafficking and, and, and just about how it's happening here in America because of the stories this guy's telling. And I called Bruce to millions and millions of people from all kinds of backgrounds. It's not about any one nationality or race or gender or any of that. It's everybody from everywhere. There's no favoritism, man. And it, it manifests itself so uniquely in different cultures, but you're exactly right. Affluent families to, I live in Salt Lake city. I'm right downtown. My daughter, my oldest daughter's 21 now, but she was maybe 16 when we were first introduced to this in a real way. And in the subsequent years, um, I met with a team from the attorney general's office and uh, just counselors and caseworkers um, in the city to tell them about this big run that I had done. And one of the caseworkers said, what high school does your daughter go to? And I told her the name of my daughter's high school. And she said, yeah, I have four files on girls that have been trafficked at your daughter's high school. And it doesn't look the same in America as it does in, say, um, I don't know, Africa or Asian countries or uh, South American countries. Like you go to bars and there's just a line of girls out front. Here, it's like a, an aunt or an uncle, a grandma, a grandpa, father, mother will put their kid out during the day and then bring them home at night. 
And so it's like, it's, it's connected to poverty. It's connected to probably huge systemic issues. It's connected to capitalism or a lack of resource or whatever. So it's, it's a tangled web here in the U S and it's like a half step from criminality. Like if you get a 16 year old, that's got a crappy boyfriend that got him, got her hooked on pills. And then she's going to, she's going to use herself so they can stay afloat. That's different than two, 24 months later, she's an 18 year old that gets stopped by a cop. She's going to get arrested. Cause they don't, they're not, they don't have the trauma informed ability to say, how can we take care of you? It's like, sorry, man, now you're breaking laws. Now you're just a criminal. So in America, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a problem that's developing. And the reason that's why I would say that's why we got involved is because um, I, I did this huge run so Chrissy could tell this story and we could begin to bring awareness because it's very sexy to say, oh man, I work with this organization. We kick these doors in and rescue these kids. Here's the facts, man. In America, if you were to recover or rescue all these people, man, there's nowhere for them to go. And it's it's been my experience just as a hardcore kid with some bad wiring sometimes in my heart and mind, it's hard enough for me to become a healthy human as a dad, as a husband, as like a provider. And you've got everything compared to these people. I've got so much going for me. And how hard is it for just everyday people to make positive changes? So now we're talking shattered human lives with broken hearts, broken minds, manipulated by people. And you just expect them to what come out and be okay immediately. So it's in the aftercare that everything falls apart and it's a, it's a long process. So it's not sexy to say, we're going to be patient with people and we're going to give them safety. And we're just going to take the time that's necessary to put these broken lives back together again. It's not as sexy as like, yo, we got these Navy SEALs and they raided this place and like, I do think that's kind of weird. I don't know that much about that organization. And I mean, obviously it's a good thing to, to do what they do, but it's, it seems kind of, um, for anybody who doesn't know, it's like, it's the, this, you're talking about operation underground Railroad, right? Oh, I'm just talking about rescue organizations in general. Well, so, okay. Well, there's there's, that they're one of them. So that's what they do is they like get these veterans and stuff and go kick in the doors of some, you know, you know, underground brothel or whatever, which is, I mean, that's, a good thing to do, but it's like, and then what? That's exactly right. People are really into the moment. They're really into like quick fix. And, and, and as a distance runner that I'm not a runner, but I just knew I would run on tour. And I had a friend that skateboarded across Nebraska to build a skate park um, for his community. And so when I heard my homie Mike's story, I was just thinking about it one day on a run and went, I don't skateboard but I jog and I thought what's something like that could get attention. And that's when it hit me. Like I'm going to run across my state, which was essentially committing to do um, a marathon a day for two weeks. So it was 430 miles. And at that point I'd run one marathon, like eight <laughs> that's years a lot before. Of running. Dude, it's so, it was <laughs> stupid. It was not a good idea at all. Like this was not smart. Like it was just intrepid enough that I knew it could. Well, and the real goal was that, if I could look at a, um, a mom or a dad, someone that walked, someone that ran, someone that had never heard of this issue before and, and say to someone, anybody, especially the anybody's, I ran across the state. Would you partner with me and just run your first 5K? Would you, could, you, could you become part of our community, part of our like running team? Could you, could you go for a run? Could you join us? Because I did a really hard thing. Could you do a hard thing too? 
and that was ultimately the goal was like, I just wanted to know that I set the bar high for myself so I could invite people in and go, we can do it. You can do it. If I can do that, you can definitely do, you know, whatever, whatever's in front of you. And so the, the big deal is in America, when you ask people that work in this space, where do we send the, the recovered ones? Where, where do we send the people that are quote unquote rescued? And there's maybe a handful of organizations that have the resource and have the people, but they don't have the space and there's not enough of them. And so it was like, that was the problem that Chrissy and me fell in love with was like, we need to help create for human trafficking what kind of Livestrong did for cancer research mm -hmm. or what mm -hmm. these pink ribbon, it's like, we just need to generate a war chest of money so that the good guys can do their thing. And I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a counselor. I, and I'm, I say this often is like, I wanna make love to my wife and not think about the polluted world of this thing because it will infect my brain. Like I will bring all the trauma home and I'm like, man, I just wanna run and write checks. I'll let all the pros do their thing, that's it. And so that was initially the vision for uh, Run Against Traffic was we launched this nonprofit in the heels of October of 2018 when I did my big run. And um, that was, that was a big deal. And, and we felt a lot of kind of passion around it. And um, like you talked about darkness, I mean, it was wild, bro. Like for real, we, we got involved. I started training for the big run and May of 2018, my brother died. Chrissy's mom died. My uncle died, a nephew overdosed. And me and Chrissy Green had four miscarriages over the next two oh, years. Shit. It's like, we got, we got the shit kicked out of us for sure. Like it, it was no joke. And so trying to persist. And then as we're like army crawling our way through the months, then the whole world goes into triage, right? A global pandemic. And so it's like, we've been fighting and fighting and fighting to just try to get some headway because while we're suffering in our own world, there's still this huge problem. And for every one or two organizations that people might recognize that do the rescue, in America, the problem is still there. We need, we still need pros, doctors, therapists, counselors, addiction specialists, and beds. We need safe places for these people. And so we felt like we were falling behind. And so um, that's kind of what brings me into what we're doing now, which is on my big run, I was like maybe five or six days in. And uh, my little brother was, my little brother, Connor was just, a, he was a G. He was like the best dude of all time. He was like one of my favorite people. And, uh, and I had a dream. It was, it was weird. Cause he, he died in May and I didn't see him. I kept, I kept thinking he was going to come and like visit someone in our family. Right. Like he, I had friends that showed up and they're like, bro, I saw Connor in a dream last night. And I'm like, dang. And I would tell my son Rada, like Rada, like let's pray and let's ask uncle Connor, to, like come hang out with us or something. And just, it didn't happen. And I think I was like five days in and I had a dream. And in the dream, I saw my brother. I remember, dude, I, this is just like a fun shout out as I remember doing a live about it. And I remember Nate from Zabalba like messaged me and was like, yeah, like he was so fun. Cause anyway, so I just remember him, like, it was cool. I saw Connor and right around that time, I was just in the middle of my run and this couple showed up and uh, brought snacks and, and like treats and stuff. And uh, we had two support vehicles that were running with us. Um, my homie that is a dude that works for, he, he owns a Mercedes dealership. They gave us like two support vehicles for the run. Um, and so my sister-in-law was driving one of them. She's like, there's a couple here. And she just said, she loved your brother and she just wanted to help. And I was like, holy smokes. And I was like broken at this point. I was like, 
half walking, half running. Like I, I had messed myself up. Dude, no, I, and like I had, I got all these crazy blisters cause it rained all crazy. Sure. And so I was running kind of like trying not to hurt myself, which of course, then you just yeah. hurt yourself. It makes more. blisters somewhere else. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So bad. So I showed to the support vehicle and, and it's this couple and, um, she ended up like, she just loved my little brother and, and, and they were dear friends and it was really cool. Her and her husband were there. Her husband ran with me. Well, like he just, I just remember him walking and kind of like jogging with me and him. He just said, he's like, dude, I just want to help you. And I was like, thanks, man. You know, like, that's awesome. Thank you. Well, a couple years later, he hits me up and says, I got it. I'm part of a new, um, we, we started a company a while ago. I'm going to have you sign some disclosures because I haven't been able to tell you about it, but just know that as a company, we are going to give to run against traffic because we believe in what you're doing. And I was like, Oh, thanks, man. So it was probably like, you know, weeks or a couple months later signed an NDA. And he, he was like, yo, it's like a brand new social media platform. And um, we've been developing it for a while and we want to, we want to make some changes. We want to do some different stuff. We actually want to take a stand um, and try to create a better experience for people because it is just, it can be such a toxic experience for people. And so I was like, well, tight, what do you want me to do? And he's like, whatever you're doing on social media, could you just bring it over to this new platform? And I'm like, bro, I will do whatever. That's awesome. Like, yeah, thanks, man. And so I became part of like the community. And then um, it's important that I say this too, because I'm the founder and, a, and the board member of running against traffic. But months later he called me and I was actually on set. I was in, I was in the movie that Eric from sleeping giant directed. So I was in his movie on set and they called me and said, if you and Chrissy want to invest anything in the company, um, this is the time to do it. We'll actually make you part of the ownership group. So it's important that I say that just, I'm, I'm actually one of the co-owners of this new social media platform. And this was before it launched. Um, so it's been it's been really cool. So we've been and what is like the name of it? Before. The name of the social media platform is Pivot, P-Y-V-O-T-T. So um, right, it, we've been kind of in a soft launch for the last like three, three months. And they just called me a couple of weeks ago. And that's what prompted me hitting you up like, help. Uh, as they said, from December 1st through January 11th of 2022, every single free download that happens of the Pivot app they're going to give a dollar to the foundation that we run. So and they can so just go I, to the app store and download it just like anything else. Yeah. Just put it on your phone and you just raised money to help us. So it's super low barrier of entry. <laughs> I would just say to anyone that hears this, stop what you're doing. Please download the app right now. Do it, do it, do it. <laughs> like so. <laughs> P-Y-V-O-T-T. Yes. Pivot. Make the pivot, bro. It's independent. So we're doing our thing. And it's, it's been really exciting, bro. Honestly, some of the conversations that we've ended up happening, like in the last few weeks even have been insane. And so I, I really do think that in terms of the marketplace of social media, I do think we're going to make a, a bit of a splash. And I think we can do, we just get to provide an option. I just think there's a lot of people that are kind of like burned out or bored of other stuff. And, and I think yeah. the reason, I don't know why, I mean, I don't know where you were when it all kind of kicked off, but I got involved in social media stuff just to stay connected to people and to be kind of seen or like tell people happy birthday or like post right. stuff that I thought was cool. Like that was why I got on was to be connected to people that I knew from all over the world. I, th I thought that was kind of what it was at its best. And so I think that's, that's well, I know that's a guiding principle within our company. So it's not just like a, it is just a, Hey, do it just because you're doing something good. For, for anybody who hasn't seen it, what is, what is sort of the fundamental difference between pivot and 
Instagram or TikTok or anything else? What's cool about it is for people that are content creators, people that are like bands or artists or whatever, like the ability to actually grow your following authentically, organic reach, similar to TikTok. Like you don't have to be a big name in order for a lot of people to see your stuff. Um, and so for content creators, it's exciting because they 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 stumbled into this world of creating customizable feeds. So Finn, I don't know how many how many followers you have on Instagram, right? Like you sixty five thousand. Yeah. So like for a lot of people we know, they, there was a point where they were just climbing, 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 and then it like tapered off. Or they post stuff and they used to get like thousands of people saying something, and now it's like three hundred. Um, and they get throttled, right? And so for any content creator, or any human, if you just built a custom feed that's like punk rock MBA, anybody, all the thousands of people that opt in to see punk rock MBA, they will always see your stuff. So the people who said, I want to follow you will actually see your stuff, which is not the case anywhere else. No, it, that's the thing that was a game changer. And we didn't... Including TikTok, by the way. Followers on TikTok really don't mean shit. There's people with 100,000 followers that still get 1,500 views on a lot of videos. It doesn't matter who you follow. It's like algorithmic. That's So ours is different. So that's been the thing that when we've signed, we've been signing contracts and agreements with TikToker, you know, other influencers. And when they see it, they're like, oh my gosh, like we're at the beginning of the journey, everybody. So please remember for the first year of Instagram, you couldn't even zoom in on a photo. That's right. Like, just no, no, it's going to take some time, but like, and you still can't edit tweets. Yes. Come on. It's been 15 years. You still can't edit tweets. Thank you. So just know you're at the beginning of a journey, but this thing, as people get involved and our system gets smarter for influencers and content creators, you don't have to pay to play, which is great. You can save a lot of money on advertising money. You're not throwing money into like the Facebook machine, hoping that it works. Like we've had large, large companies talk with us and say, we want to roll out a brand new shoe, a shoe line that we had. We want to reinvigorate that. We could build a custom feed just on, and we're like, yes, that's exactly what it's for. But for the everyday user, this thing fully developed looks like this. If I like Finn, which I do, and I like his channel, which I do, and I like Thank when you. him and his wife do cute fa dates, which I do. Thank but you. he's like super into technical death metal. And I'm <sighs> not, right? So like he posts pictures of you and you on your channel and I can swipe effectively right. You post something I don't like, I swipe left. You don't know, you don't see it. I don't have to block you or unfriend you. But the system basically goes, oh, you don't like that stuff. You like the other stuff. You can see that. You don't have to see the other things, which basically just says, I'm in charge of me and you're in charge of you and you're not going to feel the big corporate censorship, whether it's right, left or center. It puts the power of what I see on my feed. I'm in control of that. No one's going to tell me what I can say or not say necessarily. I mean, within bounds, but it's like for a lot of people, what happened is if I like, how do you, how do we do family? How do we do connection? It's like, I'm sitting next to my uncle and I love him and I love my cousins and I, he's got a sick car and I like seeing that, but maybe he's got some political views or some religious views that like, I don't want to hear. It's like, I swipe right on the stuff I love, swipe left on the stuff I don't want to see. And and he's still allowed to express his opinion. Yes. Imagine. But, but you're not forced to see it. No. Isn't that crazy? But you still want to see his, his birthday. You yes. still want to see the grandkids. Yes. You just don't want to hear his cringy rants about this political thing you don't like. Yeah, whatever. Or for me, say you love Death Star, but you don't like Sleeping Giant, right? Or like you like me and you think I'm an okay guy, but whenever I start getting preachy or there's some video of me crying about some Jesus thing, it's like 
I experience it with my friends. My friends love sure. me to death, but they don't care. You know, like they're just like, bro, we love you. And you're like a freaking weirdo. And you come with all this religious stuff. That's how I do life with like the people in my world. So why doesn't social media mimic that in a better way? Like, I want to be connected to people. I don't want it to be all toxic and divisive. And you don't want the company to decide for you what you do and don't want to see. Thank you. Exactly. So even with custom feeds, I could opt in to see Nike Jordan ones because that's my jam. And then at a certain point, I just really fall in love with Reeboks and they have pumps out now. And so I opt out of that feed if I don't want to see it. Or I'm hoping that we'll get to a point where you could basically grab your pivot app and shake your phone and it'll just, it'll like Yahtzee your feed and you'll get a whole new set of feeds. So you don't just get stuck in your own echo chamber. Right. It could begin again. So the customizable experience for everyday people, super awesome because you can control how it looks. If you like pictures more than text, you can do that. If you like Twitter more than IG, it can look like a Twitter feed. Like we're putting all of the control back in the hands of the users. So for everyday people, I think it's really exciting because then I actually can see my wife's posts when she posts them because I can't right now. I don't know why. Chrissy's like the last person I see on a feed. So anyways, I can get back to why I was on in the first place. Sure. But then for content creators and stuff, like we're we're implementing, you know, the 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 idea of um I hope, right? And this is the plan, more like <laughs> what MySpace looks used to look like on our profile. You have a picture, you got a video, you got some music playing, like it's totally your site. Um, and so even customizing your profile page and making it just your space again. And so that's kind of, that was where this started. And the customizable feed sort of was this thing that happened where now as we're talking to business owners and influencers and brands and fans, and we're telling them about it, they're like, holy smokes, that is so powerful. So we're hoping to really draw a lot of the people that are just burned out on the algorithm. to our world because we're really hoping to make a difference for people and then also make it easier for people that do their work there to actually succeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like 
dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. It feels like the common thread to everything that you are involved with at the end of the day is about helping people. So you're talking about this new product that you're involved with, but it's still from the perspective of like, but how is this going to help people just enjoy, like have a, a nicer life? Yes. Especially because I, I feel like you and me are in a similar generation, but you're like way better at this stuff than I am. I'm from the mindset that like, I didn't think the internet was real. Like I'm, I thought it was like my homie, Johnny G would say, there's like two types of people. There's people that comment on Facebook and then like normal people, you know? And yeah, like, I didn't right. think that was a thing until a human being reached out to me through my YouTube channel and said, help me. And then we ended up in a very real situation. And then I wanted to judge the internet. Like I wanted to judge IG and Facebook and all this stuff. And when the pandemic hit, everybody was trapped at home. So trafficking and predatory behavior skyrocketed online. Facebook, like 60% of predatory behavior in the trafficking space, 60% plus was on Facebook, 18% was on IG, and like 12% was on Snapchat. So trafficking went digital too. And it was in that time where it was like, oh, snap, we actually have an opportunity to jump into this space and take a stand from the very beginning. Like to, to, if we could go back in time and tap Zuck on his shoulder and go, hey, man, you're going to make a really beautiful product. But what's going to come with it is a whole lot of mental health issues, disconnection, predatory behavior. You're, people are actually going to get hurt, too. Do you care? Because if you don't, maybe, maybe pump the brakes, bro. So when we started building the culture of Pivot, it was with people in mind. It was like, how do we actually let all the good guys in first? Because all the creeps are going to come. Like we get it. But it's like, how do we actually take a stand from the beginning and say, we're trying to build a better culture here. And we want it to actually make the world a better place because social media at its best keeps us connected. We actually can see a bigger world. Some of our BS and barriers can come down right? So it can be a good thing or it can just be business as usual. And I think most people are super over the business as usual model. So yeah, I mean, I hope that it helps people in a lot of ways. And I, I really do hope it makes people's lives just like what 5% better. That would be tight, you know? 
when did you sort of realize that this was your calling of like, I, at least to me, it seems like helping people is, is, is the thing that your life is about. When did you realize that? To be honest with you, I had been such, I think it's Earl Sweatshirt who says, <laughs> I was a liar as a kid. So now I'm honest as fuck. You know, like that's, it's, it's like, I was so deceptive and so full of shame and insecurity and fear. I was so scared as a person growing up into my twenties and I made just really horrific. And so I made such horrible decisions that had powerful implications in other people's lives. And I hid, I hid, I lied and I hid from it. And when I was given what um, this dude I met named Paul, he calls it the gift of exposure. When I was exposed and my life kind of fell apart, I had like a faith moment. I had like a spiritual experience in that time. Were you not religious before that? No, no, no. When I was in Death Star, I was not. I, when okay. I moved out to, to California, I was not. I remember going to Salt Lake and they wanted to take communion before a show. And I was oh, like, I'm not doing that crap. Like, I don't care okay. at all. Like, it was. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was not a believer at all. That's that's part of, I think, the dynamic of our friendship group out there. And, and the beauty of the hardcore scene is that I would say Christianity as a culture is you can belong before you believe when when they do it well. I've always felt totally comfortable. Like I got it covered up, but I had a huge pentagram tattooed on my arm for years. Not because I was like anti-Christian. I just thought it looked cool, you know? Because they're it's a powerful symbol. It's so powerful. Yeah, yeah I get you. Okay. It looks cool because because I like Slayer, you know, but even with that, I I always felt and I have like a lot of like have a goat head and like have a lot of tattoos that are, you know, not, you know, that are edgy like that. And I've always felt totally welcome and comfortable among Christians, maybe not all of the like super judgmental ones, but like, you know, the decent ones, I've always felt super comfortable around them. That's that was me, man. I I, it's weird to. Yeah, I fell apart out there surrounded by a bunch of kids that listen to integrity and ringworm and um the the greatest salt lake band of all time is called lifeless so mm-hmm. listen to lifeless listen to like all like these dudes and the niv guys and everybody they, they would come out and stay with us in salt lake and i just remember feeling like a sense of almost like peace or kind of safety around them but i was not interested so these are like christians listening to integrity and ringworm and stuff yes absolutely. which is very very dark not even slightly Christian music for anyone who's not familiar, but it's great. And if you yeah. are into hardcore and you don't listen to Cleveland bands, I don't know what's the matter with you. But anyway, so, right. so when I first fell in with these dudes, they just, they had me there with them, but I was never like forced to do anything. And in a lot of ways, it was just, they, they were there, they were patient. They just like kind of loved me. And when my world blew up, they didn't have great answers. Um, and and I wasn't looking for that necessarily, but but they were they were their presence and the love that they had and and the way that they sort of just loved me totally helped me understand that that love could be real, and that was the thing. I was like, oh my gosh! So I I felt accepted by God, and I had nothing to give or offer. And when that happened for me, to be completely honest, I I had spent my life being about all these other things. And when I was given what literally felt like hope or a second chance, I decided that I was going to be ride or die there. And and I wasn't going to use my voice for really anything else. I, I, I felt like I had given a whole lot to other things that did not actually bring me fulfillment. That's probably why is like, I just remember what it's like to feel like you want to die. And, and that it would probably be better if you did. I remember that feeling of like, everyone's going to see me 
everyone's going to know. And the more that they know, the less that they're going to like me. And the more, if they really knew me, they would hate me and despise me. And that sense of deep shame. And so when that lifted, I just remember thinking, I wondered if almost like what I was born with, right? Like childlikeness, like that beauty of being a kid is like that openness and that sense of like, yeah, just being good to people. And I wonder if it was buried a little bit. But what you were able to do, you know, there are lots of people who are exposed to the world, but but are never exposed to themselves. Like they still... As much as, you know, it's revealed to everyone else that you're a terrible person, but you still don't see the truth. You won't, you won't admit the truth to yourself, you know? Dang, Finn, that's power, bro. But you you had, you were willing to admit the truth to go, wow, I'm kind of a shitty dude. This sucks. Completely. And most people are not willing to do that. So I thought that's where we were. Like when I first heard, I remember hearing, what was it? uh, I think it, it wasn't the look my way record. It was, was it the down by law record by Mad Boys? Slap you with reality. Cross yeah, yeah, face, yeah. Right? Like I just, I remember when I first actually felt inspired by God and this is like truth be told, it's why Bruce is on so many of the Sleeping Giant records is I was, a, <laughs> I was working and I was driving to work as my marriage to my first wife, my daughter's mom was just crumbling and everything was falling apart. And I had really lied a lot in that relationship. And all of a sudden it was just like, I was reaping what I had sown. Mm-hmm. And I remember driving to work in the morning, listening to the hundred demons record, the full length uh, in the eyes of the Lord. And I, I put it on and I'm, I'm starting to feel like maybe I should try this God thing. <laughs> and sure. The first song on that record forsaken is like the greatest song ever. And it starts that like, you know who I love nobody. Right. I prayed a thousand times. He never answers me. And do you think I've sinned in the eyes of the Lord? You know, never did shit for me. And I'm listening to this record and I, hear these lyrics and I think, oh shoot, like maybe I shouldn't listen to this if I want to be like connected to God, you know? And I went to hit eject and I felt almost like an impression, like from outside of me that was like, listen to him. And I listened to him sing. And as I get to work, because there's traffic, it was like a 35, 40 minute drive that day. I finish his album and I'm crying because I hear a dude say, I'm asking and you're not there. I'm, I'm praying and you're not answering me. I'm in pain and there's no justice. And I was just like, holy crap. Like I remember saying out loud, this dude has prayed a thousand times. I've never prayed. A thousand times. <laughs> like, this dude's prayed way more than me. He's way closer to God. That's, than a, I am. that's assuming that he's telling the truth, which he probably isn't, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so then, so yeah. it's wild. So I just remember the first time I was introduced to who I, I believe, I believe that was the voice of the spirit of God. I think that was like a Jesus moment. I met Christ listening to a hundred demons and, and listening to the pain of someone from my culture and going, Whoa, like, are you here? Cause that's how I feel. And so just in, in general, like I thought we lived in a truthful space. And so that's why I love the hardcore scene. It felt real to me. It felt like you could be honestly loved and you could be honestly like hated. And I was also young and I was idealistic and stuff. So I know now (laughs) a lot of stuff I didn't know then, but I just remember feeling like if you say you're going to be about something, you need to be about it here. I mean, that is the culture, you know, obviously it is still human. So there's a lot of imperfect people who don't (laughs) always, you know, their beliefs or their actions don't always align with what they believe or say they believe, but that is largely true. Yeah. And that's how I felt. My friends out here, at least in Salt Lake in the mid to late nineties, 
this was not a place to play around. And I, right. I just remember being a young kid, maybe like 15 and just going to my first show and feeling like, Oh, this is serious. Yeah. Salt for anybody who's not familiar, the Salt Lake hardcore scene back then was wild. Like there was a legitimate, you know, risk to your physical safety of going to a hardcore show in Salt Lake back then. Just you could get whacked in the head with a fucking hammer, for, <laughs> like literally for like it was nothing. it was and it was really going through it. There was a lot of stuff happening during that time. I was such like a new jack, like no clue what was going on at all. But I knew I needed to get sober, and so the reason I went was because I knew if I said I'm not doing drugs and I hung out there, yeah. I wouldn't do drugs. I wouldn't drink. I wouldn't get all messed up. Right. And I was really like in a bad way <laughs> moving from, I moved from Puyallup, Washington to Salt Oh, I didn't Lake. know that. Yeah, dude. Remember I, when we met in Seattle, I was like, yo, I used to live in Puyallup. That's oh, like, well, I forgot that. High and stuff. Yeah, we were chopping it up there and I was like, I love it up here. Like my aspiration when I lived in Washington state, I thought I was going to get done with high school in Puyallup and then I was going to move to Seattle. And all I wanted to do was go to school there and be like a bike messenger and go to like rock shows. That was like the height of my aspiration. Right, right, yeah. It's very, very nineties bike, bike messenger in the Emerald city. That was like my whole thing, man. P houses in Puyallup now were like 700 grand. <laughs> I went back and did a wedding for some people and in, in some like garden in Puyallup. And I was like, where right. am I? Like, this is crazy. Like I used, I used to do horrific things with my friends like <laughs> right over there that's crazy. we used to light stuff so many things on fire holy smoke <laughs> so yeah so when I'm, i moved to salt lake i was so bummed in my my sophomore year of high school that i was just drinking and i was i just was like i didn't want to be there and so i was really going down a bad way and i didn't know i didn't know the straight edge thing was a thing i didn't really know what the hardcore scene was i think i had bumped into hardcore shows at like grunge rock shows when yeah. i was like 13, but I had no clue for what it was. And so when I got to Salt Lake, people were like, oh yeah. And they talked about this scene. I had no idea what they were talking about. And then they told me like, yeah, it's pretty like violent here. There's a group of kids here. And like, if you test them, like they will fight yeah. you for sure. And, and they don't do drugs or anything. So like, you know, and I, and I was like, well, that's cool, I guess. Like, is it cool? And they were like, Everyone was really like scared, you know. So like, and I was just uh, like, oh, shit. and there was a bunch of news stories going out. And to, I, I found out later, you know, most of my homies that I grew up with now and have been friends with for like, you know, twenty five years, they were like, you know, we were all just like skater dudes, and we were all into good music, and we hung out with kids and smoked weed, and we and we were just kind of doing our thing. And then Fox News out here right. did a report on Salt Lake City straight edge kids and they called it salt lake city's biggest gang you can find this on youtube still if anyone wants to watch it oh yeah okay so when they posted that like salt lake city's biggest gang is like these white mormon looking straight yeah. edge kids the minute that happened all the real gangbangers on the west side of town basically were like all right well now we're going to test them right <laughs> so then it like shot through the roof where all of a sudden it was like bad it got real violent real quick and so I didn't know any of this. I was just some idiot that was like, I was a drummer. I loved punk rock. I, I loved music so much that when I first heard the sound of a hardcore band, it was so much more intense than any of the music I had heard before that I was like, I've got to understand what's happening here. So I was drawn by the music and then I needed to get sober because I'd, I'd really messed myself up. So what I'm curious about or what I want to get to here is it sounds like there's a couple times in your life where you have been willing to admit, you know, hard truths to yourself. And, and that's something that I just, most people, I believe that 
people know the truth. Like, do you follow Tony Robbins at all? I do. I do. Yeah. So he has, he has a, a talk that's really good about answering the call, about how everyone hears the call, but most people don't answer it because they're scared. Yeah. Okay. And I agree with that. I think most people like talk to anybody who's like a serious drug user. And I've used to do a lot of drugs, so it's no, no judgment. Zero people who use a lot of drugs think it's good. Like if you have an honest conversation with them. Yeah. They're all like, I know it's so bad. I know it's so bad. And I know every single one of them, all of them, Yeah. every single one of them. That's no judgment for sure. Just people in that, in that pit, man. Yeah. But they, they can't get out. And I understand, like, I get it. People who have like fucked up relationships, like all these things, like, I believe that 99.9% of the time we know the truth. We just won't admit it to ourselves because that means changing and change is difficult and scary. So scary. It really is. Dude, I, yeah. Okay. So in that period of my life, I was coming to terms when I was 15, I was coming to terms with the fact and I love them. I love them. I've gone through like a crazy journey in this. So please, everybody, please understand, especially in the wake of my brother passing so much has shifted in my relationship here. I was trying to earn my dad's approval of me by being like him. And one of the ways I could connect with him was to drink and to do drugs and to like, I wanted him to approve of me that way. And, uh, I had a, I went on like a four day drunk party thing. (laughs) And then I ended up, um, I just, at the end of it, I realized like, this isn't cool. And, um, I wouldn't have done this if I didn't think it was cool. And the reason I think it's cool is because the dude that's like my hero, like that I don't really know. And I can't seem to like connect with he says it is because men have a, I mean, I guess everybody probably does, but in particular, I think men have like a biological oh. need, desire to like feel connected to a father figure. And if you don't have that, it fucks you up. You're just like brick, brick on the accelerator. Nobody at the wheel. Yeah. He's my, my therapist. Cause I went to therapy for a while. I was, I was actually in a, a very like estranged relationship from my dad for like many years. And uh, it was in that period of time that I was like, um, I just didn't want to live that way, especially someone that was really trying to like, I wanted to be close to Christ in my own life. And he's constantly saying your Christianity is only as good as your love for your enemy. And mm-hmm. if you only love the people that love you, that doesn't matter. Right. It's That's how the you easy treat part. The, yeah. It's how you treat the other people. And, and I was not loving my dad for a long time. And I, so I went to therapy to try to understand what was going on. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and he said to me, and, and he, he, this was secular, uh, psychologist guy. And I don't mean any disrespect to uh, persons. But what I'm yeah. going to say is he said, uh, you know, um, I know the reading and I've done the research on this and, and just the way that this seems to work out for humans is children receive their core identity from their same sex parent. And so little boys need a father to give them something. Little girls need a mother to give them something. And that's why it's so hard sometimes for dads to turn little girls into beautiful, like, and strong women. And it's hard sometimes for women to turn little boys into fully empowered men. It's not that that's like impossible, but there's something about seeing you bigger and them affirming you that does something. And I didn't have it. I didn't have it at all. I I bet you, if you talk to all those other like Salt Lake hardcore kids that were being violent idiots, 
I bet you 100% of them have a fucked up relationship with their father. There's a amazing a graffiti movie called Can't Be Stopped about this graffiti crew called CBS from Hollywood. That's like one of the biggest graffiti crews of all time, blah, blah, blah. The opening line of the trailer is like, we were a bunch of kids who didn't know our fathers. And I was like, boom. Dude, it sucks because you get in all these like weird political things i'm just saying like as a young kid it's not political it's just it's but you know what i mean like in the in this climate it's like it's not okay to say like yo man like little boys need their dads and that's obviously no judgment i, I was raised by a single mom for the first first five years of my life which is probably part of the reason why i am as fucked up as i am <laughs> no no judgment on the single moms or anything like that like it's not at all no everyone's doing the best they can it's just like in an ideal world you know, men need a father figure. And my, and the person I call my father is not my biological father and it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's not important. You just need a father figure. When you look at like kind of the stats that are connected to a lot of the, the issues connected to fatherlessness. Yeah. It's crazy. And so anyways, when he said that, I just remember thinking this is about, I'm saying this for me and I don't, you know, I hope everybody can hear that with like a lot of grace and stuff for, for every, everybody, man, everyone's kind of in their own journey, but yeah. I just remember that was the realization I want so desperately to be like my father and I cannot be like my father. Um, and so I, I had to make like a, I had to make like a different decision. And, and the only way I knew how to do it was like through, it wasn't through being fully empowered. I was running on fear. And so I went to a culture that was going to punish me if I broke the rules. Right. It was like, you better, if you say you're going to be straight edge, you better mean that thing for life or right. Cause we like gangbang straight edge out here. <laughs> like, and I was <laughs> right. like, okay, I just can't mess around. If I say I'm like drug free, I will be drunk by Thursday. I guarantee it. So I was just like, went to my beautiful, like vegetarian, like peace loving hardcore friends that I knew. And I said, can you please help me get sober? And they were like, yeah. So I just hung out with them and they were vegan and like listened to Snapcase or something. You know and I was just right, like, right. cool. Like I just was grateful to not be like messing myself up. And so that, for me, that was like the first break, let's say, with a, what felt like a real familiar spirit. That's been, a, that's been a guiding principle for me in some ways is I'm just trying to be in the natural. I'm just trying to be kind of like a generational stopgap. You know, I don't want my kids to experience some of the this, this stuff that I went through. And I just want them to be able to, I want them to have the freedom to make different decisions. And I want them to have the the wealth to come from a different place. And then their problems are going to be different than mine. But yeah. I just, I don't want to be- At least you won't alcoholic. pass yours on. Dude, that's what I'm saying. I just don't want to yeah. breed that alcoholic kind of abusive, deceptive kind of thing. And I, I almost killed myself doing that at a very young age. So, yeah. you know, that was kind of the, that was the one, man. So I appreciate you saying that because it it makes it sound like there was wisdom in operation. But I, I would say that was divine. That was divine help. Because well, <laughs> I was like so a I mean, we've all been there, man. I remember when I was like 31, yeah. I, my whole life, I had said I wasn't going to be like my mom because she was like an alcoholic, drug addict. She was married four times, you know, and I understand why. Cause like her mom died of cancer when she was seven. And then her father died of like alcoholism when she was like 14. And then her brother killed himself when she was 20. So by the time she was, you know, 21, she had lost, you know, half of her family in fucked up circumstances. And, and, and it destroyed her and she never recovered from it. So I completely understand why she was the way she was. Yeah. But I mean, she was an alcoholic who was married four times. And I was like, I just don't want to be like my mom. But when I was 31, I realized, fuck, I'm, I'm on the path to doing all the same things she did. 
you know, like all these relationships that fell apart. I was like drinking and doing a lot of drugs and stuff. And I was like, oh, I, I always thought I was so much smarter than my mom, but here I am doing all the same shit she did at the same age. Who's the fucking idiot? Fortunately, I was able to change course and I'm in a, a much better place now. But I guess I guess the, the thing I would ask is there's somebody listening to this right now that um, is is having a moment right now that's like, okay, I know that I need to make this change. And, and I've been listening. I've been hearing this voice in the back of my head for probably years saying I, I need to make a change. And for whatever reason, they've been paralyzed and haven't been able to do it. What advice would you have for that person that hopefully listening to this, they're going to, you know, press play on this and go, fuck it. This is the moment that I'm going to fucking do do something about this. Yeah. My, my, the first thought for that person, right. For people in those positions is ad, admit it, <laughs> like yep. say it, like really just be able to go, don't, don't let the fear of being seen stop you. Think about it like this. The strongest people in the world that you see have gotten strong because they've gotten weak and then strong and then weak and then strong. And so don't be scared of your weakness. It's okay. Like you will only get stronger when you admit that you are weak. And, and if you're having a problem, if you're hitting the same addictive cycle, if you have been through so much that there's such complex trauma in your life that you're making decisions that even you don't understand, it's because there's something that's not working. And, and if you can admit that it's not working, that's the first no step judgment. to get help. Totally. No, the judgment is good. Good. See it. See it, please. Because most people walk around blind. Doesn't make you a bad person. No, no. It makes you awesome. Like yes. I, my verse for me, what I did for Sleeping Giant even was the, the verse in the Bible says we boast in our weakness for when we are weak, then we are strong. And that humility is really beautiful, man. It gives people in your life permission to be human. It gives you permission to make mistakes and learn. So my, my thing is, hey, are you weak like me? Good job. Tell somebody. Tell somebody that you're struggling. Tell somebody that you need help. Tell somebody that you're having a problem. Tell somebody that you're being dishonest. Mm -hmm. Admit it. Just, just own up. And you'll to the feel fact so that, much more free the on. minute that you do it. Dude, that's true, Ben. Did you do It'll that? It'll be like you took that backpack of bricks off your back. Come on, bro. Okay, so you said it though. What what changed when you're 31? What was what did you do that? What did you do? Because you're asking me, but like, what did you do? I just made tough decisions to stop doing that shit. So like, you know, <laughs> I was living in Cincinnati, and it was clear to me that like the social social circles and stuff that I was in at the time, like if you're going to hang out with these people, you're going to be drinking and partying and hanging out with just the wrong kind of people and stuff. And I was like, okay, well I'm moving. So I, I, I got another job in Columbus and I moved and I just sort of made like the white knuckle decision of like, I don't, I really don't like being alone. That's like my biggest fear. Whoa. Okay. I made the decision of just like white knuckle. Like it's either I'm only going to be around the right kind of people or I'm going to be alone and I'm going to be okay with being alone. If that's like, because I was afraid of being alone, I would fill that void by hanging out with like the wrong kind of people who just wanted to party and like, you know, girls that didn't want like an actual relationship that just wanted to like hang out or whatever. And no judgment to those people. It's just, that's those that did not make me happy to live that way. And so I just said, 
white knuckle, no, this is it. If that means I'm going to be alone for a while, then so be it. And if that's going to be uncomfortable and scary, fine, because the alternative is to keep being this person and that's not acceptable. Who helped you in that time? Like when you said, I'm either going to hang out with people that are going to fit maybe like a higher, a higher version of who I want to be, or I will be, I will be alone. I can't like isolate, but like who came to your, who came into your life during that time? I mean, for one, there were, there were a few people. I said that all the people I hang out was hanging out with the wrong kind of people. That's not hundred percent true. There were some good ones and they were there for me when I, and I told them this. And even though that's kind of like, and it was embarrassing because I was such a, just everybody who, all the decent people who knew me, I'm sure were like cringing at the way I was living and acting. You know, they were like, why are you like, like, why are you doing this? Like you, you know, you shouldn't live this way. But I just told them that everything I just told you basically, and the people who really care about you will be there to like catch you when you fall Fact. and take care of you when you need it. And, and then the, the other thing is, so there's probably a lot of people out there that like, you may feel like nobody cares about you or, you know, that you're all alone. And that's almost certainly not true. And it's probably a lot of people, there's probably a lot of people in your life. Like it could be like the fucking, like I ended up becoming pretty good friends with the front desk guy at the building I worked in who I, he ended up, he used to be like homeless and like sold crack and stuff and had a wild story. And you know, there's a lot of people out there who are maybe just sort of quietly watching you. Like you haven't connected with them because you didn't put it out there, you know, but if you ask for help or just sort of put it out into the world that you're, you know, like it's like an an AA when they, you know, you, you admit that you don't have control. You know what I mean? When you take your hands off the wheel and you're just like, this is going to go where it's go, where it's going to go. As they say in AA, let go and let God. When you do that, I used to go to AA with my mom a lot, which is the reason why I know about it. Yeah. When you do that, you're going to find that there's a lot of people out there who maybe they're ready to catch you when you fall and you weren't expecting it. And also, I just like made the choice. I'm like, okay, I'm only going to hang out with healthy people and do healthy things. And I don't really know what that means exactly, but like maybe I'll go take a cooking class or I'll just like hang out at the public library or something. But like I'm yeah. going, I I don't know what I'm going to do exactly, but but I am I'm not going to just sort of keep walking down that same path because I'm not happy with where it's leading me. And very quickly, very, very, very quickly, when you put out that kind of energy, you'll, you'll get what you put, you'll get back what you put out. Yeah. You know, I've experienced that. I think a hundred percent of the time you get what you ask for, but what you ask for is expressed by um, your actions, not your words. You can say, you can tell people you want X, but that words don't mean shit. I mean, they mean a little something, but not much. You know, you see, you, we all know people to do this. So like, oh, I just wish that blah, blah, blah. And you're like, but what are you doing on a day-to-day basis to get closer to that? You know, so I was saying that I wanted to be in a relationship like a, a you know, basically like I want to marry a nice girl that wants to have a nice, boring domestic life. But was I hanging out with girls like that? Fuck no. No. <laughs> You know, yeah. and and I wasn't acting like the kind of person that any girl like that would want to be with because I was Come still on. being a fucking idiot drinking yeah. and going to all these like bars and hanging out with, you know, people like hardcore shows or getting in fights and going to jail and stuff. And any normal girl would be like, can't do it. dude. I don't want to have anything to do with you, you fucking yeah. idiot, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so yeah. I just said, I'm I'm going to act. I. I'm go. It's like fake it till you make it to some extent. I just said, I'm going to act like the person, like I have a mental picture of who this person is that I want to be. And I'm just going to act like that person. And it was unnatural at first, but now it's natural. 
That's so cool. I agree. I agree with you. I think that's cool, man. I think that's like the good one. And I'm not putting myself up on a pedestal as like, I'm so great and everyone should be like me or anything like that. My point is just that I really firmly believe that most people know the truth. And there's so much fucking denial in the world and in our society in particular. It's like, nobody wants to just like, nobody wants to say that like, you should stop doing that thing. Cause like, it's, it goes back to like relativism. Like everything's okay. Nothing is bad. Well, let's, let's take judgment out of it. Like, is this healthy? Does it make you happy? Like, forget about judgment, but just, you see so many of these patterns. Does anybody really think that like going to the bar six days a week is something that makes you happy? No, it's, it's not. <laughs> Look at the math. Yeah. Go and take depre- like a depressive substance every single day for six days a week. That'll make you stoked. Exactly. What, do you, what the <laughs> fuck do you think that's going to do? I don't remember who said this, but I heard it on some podcast years ago. It was, it was very true. They said, you know, whether you're religious or not, if you read the 10 commandments and you do that stuff, that's going to make your life better. And all the things <laughs> it tells you not to do, if you, if you do those things, your life is going to be worse. It really will. That's just the truth on a pragmatic, practical level. Whether you believe in God or not. Well, no, and I think I would love to swoop on the word because I just heard this a couple of days ago. You know, when we talk about the word judgment, ultimately, I would love for people to be able to reframe it. The word judgment being, I need to put things back into right relationship. It's just reordering. I need to reorder. Like, it's not a judgment. It's just a reordering of something. And I think that's, it gives people permission to be in priorities, maybe a bit more, yeah, a bit more empowered. It's like, I'm not judging you, but we are out of order. This is out of order. This isn't actually like aligning with anything close to what I want. Yes. Um, And that way people can just say, it's like, I'm going to judge this situation because if I judge my own physical health and I'm not doing good things and I actually reorder that, I judge it and I bring health, that's a good judgment. And I think I just want people to feel like it's okay to make a different choice. It's okay Mm -hmm. to make a different judgment about a thing. Um, and that it's not like a bad word if you think about it, because it's ultimately about relationships. And if what you're doing is about improving relationships and improving the quality of your relationship with yourself, with others, with the world around you, man, it, it's like you said, like you're going to end up, even if you just did it for a short period of time and get discouraged, five bucks and a shiny nickel just says something awesome is going to come into your life because of the dumb season where you took up going to the gym a couple of times a week. Exactly. You went for a walk or... Dang, right? You signed up for jujits and did it for like three months and then quit. So, something's going to happen. I promise you. He's just so into it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's good, man. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I think it's really unfortunate that our society now, Western society, and I would say, I'm saying Western society because this is like my wife's family is from Vietnam and Vietnamese people are, are different than this. Like in Western society, like we've been sort of sold out by this, the establishment that wants to tell you this by the, by relativism is not helpful. Yeah. Like no, no consequence. Like there's no actual consequence to anything. Yeah. It's not real. Everything's That's okay. Real. And there's no consequence. That's not how the shit works. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> not at all. Like you can love the consequences, but there's, it's coming. Like there's, there is math. <laughs> my dad was a corrections officer. And this really was very, the older I get, the more I realize he was in the Navy and then he's a corrections officer. So not a lot of bullshit. No, I didn't know that. Wait, did you tell me? Maybe you told me that. Maybe I did know that. Yeah. I, I don't know, but like no bullshit kind of guy. And so he would have these conversations with inmates where, you know, they would be 
telling him that they want to get parole. You know, I've got a parole hearing in a, in six months. And you go, okay, his job was to sort of help them with this for a while, you know, and so he'd say, okay, well, you should take this anger management class. You should do this job training program. I see you've gotten a couple infractions for X, Y, and Z. Make sure you don't get any more of those. And, you know, that's going to give you your best chance at the parole hearing. And they'd be like, fuck you. You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> like, rah, rah, rah. You don't know me. And he'd just be like, all right, listen, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to like it. I'm just telling you that's how it is. Yeah. I feel like that is just badly missing from our society because we went maybe in the past, you know, things were really judgmental and everyone was stigmatized and felt bad because they were judged too much. I don't know. Maybe that's the case, but it is not helpful. Just like with kids, if you just let your kids do whatever they want all the time and like whatever, that's great, baby. What do whatever you want. Is that helpful for your child? No. If you let a kid eat ice cream for dinner every month or every day, is that going to help them? No. No. <laughs> not at all. Did you ever listen to Shelter? No, I did not. And I want to say that. I'm saying that out loud. <laughs> no, I was never into Shelter. Never, ever. I don't get it. I don't get it. That's what I'm saying out loud. The music is Thank bad. you. Say it out loud. Say it again. I got all these homies that are like, I'm like, dude, if you're into Hare Krishna, it's awesome. Okay, do your thing. But don't listen to Shelter. They're not good. What are you talking about? Bad music. Oh, bad music. Lyrics are tremendous, though. Powerful lyrics. It's great. Fantastic. I remember to this day, I heard this when I was like 14 or 15. And to this day, I still remember it. 25 years later, there's at the end of uh, the CD version of Quest for Certainty, I think, there's a sermon. It's just the track name is just called Sermon. And it is whatever Ray Capo's. I don't know what they call them in Krishna consciousness or whatever, but his, uh, you know, his, his spiritual leader giving this sermon. And one of the things he talks about there is the idea of Dharma, which is basically that there's a path or a way, you know, that you are, you know, designed or intended to follow. And so he's saying that like humans, especially, you know, in the modern West, where we all think we're, we all believe that we are God. And we're encouraged to believe that we're God. Nobody wants to follow their dharma. But he he said, look about, it, look, think about it. Bees have a, a dharma. They live in hives and they eat honey. And beavers have dharma. They live in dams and they chew on sticks and you know they swim around in the in the water. Why would we believe that humans don't have a dharma either? We may be more complex creatures, but like like you said, look at the numbers. There are certain behaviors that just do not make. Most people happy most of the time. Maybe you're the exception. Probably not, because one of the things that we all believe in the West is that we're the exception. We're special. <laughs> like it's like people that are fans of Shelter instead of just listening to 108. <laughs> Better music. This is true. But <laughs> thank you. And it's the same guy. It's Swami Prabhupada or whatever. My friend Ross used to call him. He used to call him Shrivel Pribblepock. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> he didn't know. 108's lyrics a little bit darker, a little bit more. Um, <laughs> I would say in the mode of anger yeah, so rather good. than, you know, shelter, I would say is about being in the mode of seeking. Yeah. I just want to let you know that Chad from hundred just texted me and said, bro, how are you going to hate on shelter right now? <laughs> <laughs> I love shelter. One of my favorite bands of all time, but musically not fantastic. Couldn't do it. Just couldn't do it. Couldn't make the jump, bro. Couldn't do it. And I'm just I'm the watching people love it. Great. It's great for you. That's great. I could never get into it ever, never, never, never happened. So the, the basic takeaway that, for me personally, who am I to tell anybody anything? Yeah. Well, someone that's been around for a while, someone that's listened to Shelter and can say the music isn't great. <laughs> Let's just keep it there. I just want to say. What, what, I, what I would hope that people take away from this is unflinching honesty in everything that you do. 
and I don't practice it perfectly by any means. I mean, none of us do, but, but you always know, should I be doing this thing right now? You fucking know when the, when you shouldn't be, you fucking know it. Right. Why? Okay. So what's, wait, what's popping up for you about it? Why is that the theme that you think is coming up? Oh, well, just because I think that's the answer to some, like for, there's a lot of people who I talk to, you know, who I know, um, want to change their life in some way or another. Sure. You know, and, or, or just feel like they're not happy or not content or whatever. And, and I think that fundamentally the, the root of it for most of us is it starts with denial because that's the first step. If you can't admit the truth, it's game over. Gosh, bro. Yeah. There's a lot, right. You, you can't like, and, and, and the, 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 the great part is that admitting the truth is easy. Like it just takes one second is just to listen to that voice in your head that is there. Like you, you, we all hear the voice. Like, for example, sometimes I'm a little bit rude to my wife when she asks me a question that I think is stupid. Sure. And there, there's zero, zero, like I should never, ever, ever be rude to her for any reason under any circumstances ever. That's right. Is she, no, I mean is she it. Watching I'm, right now, I mean I agree with. No, she's she, probably downstairs cooking dinner. <laughs> flipping you off through the floor. That's right. You know. And and when I and sometimes I'm a little bit grouchy at her if I think she wasn't paying attention and like why did you ask me that question I just told you and I say it in sort of a a rude tone of voice. And yeah, the yeah. second it comes out of my mouth, I'm fucking kicking myself because I'm like, why the yeah. fuck did I do that? Yeah, you know. Why did I do that? I knew it. And and. And when I was younger, I would have made an excuse and be like, oh, I didn't mean it that way. Or, well, you're just, you know, I would have tried to bullshit. And now yeah. it happens to say, you're right. That, that was, was shitty. Really super. There's, I should never talk to you that way. I apologize. That's shitty. I was going to, I was going to say this. And I, I, when you say it, what pops up for me is I, I had a, I had an experience, uh, maybe or an understanding that hit me um, in, in the training, in the run. And I remember thinking this being humble, right it's like a superpower. And it, and I feel like when, when we take a second and we are humble instead of proud or in denial or kind of lying to ourselves, like self-deception, when you take a second and you just get humble, I think it, I think it's not only like a superpower for our insides, we feel more honest and we feel more open. Like we are, we're meant to connect and be like we're meant to feel and kind of be moved through life. I think that's why we do so well together and why we mm-hmm. do so bad when we're isolated. Yep. But I remember thinking when you operate in humility, even for a second, you're just like, dude, I don't think that's a very good call. I think it's almost like invisible to the eye, mm-hmm. but it's like you can get put on like a totally different track. Yes. And and it'll, I, I said, it's almost like you can time travel. Yes. Like, so I think that those moments of humility where you just go, yeah, I don't know. I don't have that figured out. Or that's a, that's a dumb decision or that's not the right thing for me. Yeah. Or I, you know, you just, when you just act like you're not God for a second, like possibility can open up all around you. And I think I've felt like, I don't know when I was heading for, I was heading for like disaster, like in a relationship, right? Like say enough of those days go by where you're a dick to your wife, enough of those go by and that road leads you to separation. Exactly. But those moments of humility, all of a sudden, then she can be honest if she makes a mistake and you can, it's like all of a sudden now there's a road that leads to better connection or there there's something new that opens up. And so I would just encourage people along with you, like 
the fact of the matter is when we hum, when we act humble, better things happen in our world. Yes, and exactly. We avoid a whole lot of disaster and wreckage. It's just, it's such a practice. It's just so practical and pragmatic. Kendrick. Just be humble. Yeah, but it's true. It's so pragmatic. It's not some, it's true. You, if, if you hate religion, that's fine. You can like hate it all you want, but just on a practical level, being humble means you will win more and you will be a happier person. I think that's true. I do. I think the acknowledgement that maybe I don't have it all. I remember feeling that hanging out with real dudes is I remember thinking in a former life, I think I would have made up that I knew something. Yes, and exactly. I remember, just exactly. Thinking, I remember thinking in my head, like, I am going to get real good at saying, I don't know, because I just don't know right now. And, and didn't I you just feel like a massive weight kind of lift off? You're like, man, I feel so, so much, much pressure like, to pretend oh, that I know this oh. shit. And you said, man, I have no idea. And you're like, I have no idea. Oh. I, I literally said uh, to a bunch of Christian people I was talking to once, I was like, I think that what I would love to see hit like Christianity is the spiritual gift of, I don't know. Like I would love for that to just like crash in on so many people because we're walking around, like we've got all this stuff figured out. And the reality is that, that there's such beauty in mystery that we, we lose that when we think we've got all of the answers. And so I, I like, a, I don't know. I think it opens up way more sometimes. I'm so with you. Please just, if you're hearing me, please just admit that you don't know. If you're stuck in some weird cycle or you can't get out of your own way, how about I don't know? That's a really, that's a good one, bro. That's a ticket to paradise. You should just take it. That's a good one. Well, that's probably a good note to end this on. I could talk no, about this let's forever. let's keep going. But, Finn, yeah. let's just keep chopping it up, bro. We'll hang out. I'll I wish I could, but my <laughs> wife is downstairs and I know that that's she's true. waiting for me. Uh, yes. So I want to do the right thing and, uh, and, yes. and go be with her. I, I love you, but I love her more. That's so good. Yeah, I'm glad. Download Pivot, please, everybody. Right. Help me. P-Y-V-O-T-T. Go download do it. it. <laughs> go do it right now. Appreciate your time. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, bro. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza.
So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.